This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Late Late Show this Thursday, the 11th of May. I'm your host, Paul Hazard, and on tonight's show, we'll be discussing the well-being and mental health crisis in teaching. Let's get to it. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. In a week when we had a new report that highlights the stress teachers and educators are under. Uh, Very, very disappointing and concerning news. Some of the headline figures, for example, are 81% of school leaders say the job is negatively affecting their mental health and well-being and that they're emotionally exhausted. wonder how you teach or how you even lead when you're emotionally exhausted. One of the other headline points is that uh, it highlights very clearly teachers are not trained for the reality of what is in school nowadays. So much has changed lately. Support has vanished. Children's needs have changed. And teachers have become everything. Social workers, nurses, doctors, policemen and women, and so on. These findings paint a very bleak picture of an education system that's really struggling to meet the needs of its students and young people. And I suppose it's little wonder that, you know, there's a hemorrhaging of experienced teachers and Spartan recruitment. And with me tonight to discuss these and other matters is Sam Moyne. Good evening, Sam. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. So, Sam, you were a teacher and you're no longer a teacher. So what, what's your story? How did that come about? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Well, I'm not sure about anyone else who's listening, but I never wanted to be a teacher. So, oh, dear, Sam, that's not a good start. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it, does, it does move into my story, though, because um, all I wanted to be was, was a soldier. Uh, that's what my dad did. He was a Royal Marine. And I thought, I can make my dad proud of me. And I, that's all I wanted to do. And I got accepted uh, into the British Army. Uh, but literally two weeks after I got accepted, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Oh, yeah. So it meant that I couldn't join the military. So mm-hmm. it was a really tough moment and lots of tears and emotion. And one day I was working at an M&S coffee shop. I'm thinking that there must be more than this. And my mum was a primary school teacher. So I thought I'd go and give, uh, give teaching a go. Yeah. And I became a secondary school history teacher in a state secondary just uh, outside London. And... I really struggled with my mental health in that first NQT year. And I just feel like I didn't have any support myself. I know we've, we've spoken just now about mental health with, with the school staff. And for me, the job was obviously very consuming, but I'd taken on my, my own struggles from the past into that role. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like just getting the Sunday scaries, right? About Monday, the next day or lesson planning. It was 
physically not being able to get out of bed and teach my classes. And I think yeah. the moment I realized I needed some help was when I was teaching 30 year 11s. And there's a girl at the front, her name was Susie. And she asked me, she looked at me dead in the eye. She said, sir, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. Which was feelings inside, not expressed. And I share that because I then had to turn away because I felt like she was very intuitive with what she asked me. And inside I was very anxious, very broken. And I burst into tears in front of the class. And that was the moment where I realized I had to get some help and support. Um, and it was a real, it was a tough moment, but it was also transformational. Because as a result of that, I found coaching and mental health support. And in 2015, I got some help. And for the first time, I was able to open up about what was going on for me. Yeah. And it was a coach and it was really proactive. I was 24. I've been taught my whole life to man up, to pull your socks up, to not show emotion. But here was someone who was listening to me, who was asking mm -hmm. me great questions, who was really positive and proactive. And I remember leaving that session and it was like taking your sunglasses off on holiday. You know, everything was like vibrant again. Everything right. was, was, was colorful. And I went back into school and became a much better teacher. Yeah. Gosh, Sam, that's a very poignant story. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, and how, how's it going with the Crohn's now? Are things better? Yeah. Interestingly, it's, uh, it's much better now. I've, I've moved away from London and I no longer work as a classroom teacher. Yeah. The Crohn's is, is sort of managed itself. But when I was a teacher and for many years after I'd have flare ups, I would be pretty weak and it's obviously linked to anxiety. You know, the, when I was very, very anxious, the Crohn's would flare yeah. up as well. So it was, it was a tough, you know, tough. It's teaching is hard. Um, yeah. It's obviously an amazing job, but when you've got that to deal with, plus those early years of teaching, which I know a lot of people can relate to listening to this, it was a bit of a cocktail of negativity and struggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gosh. And that was 2015, was it? That was in 2015. I got some, I got some help. It was this, like I said, this transformational moment, the 23rd of April, 2015. I think that date will always be ingrained in my brain. And yeah. I, uh, I went back into school and like I said, because I dealt with my emotional baggage, it was a bit like having a ball and chain on me for the first two years mm -hmm. of my teaching career. And then when mm -hmm. I was able to speak and share that ball and chain was almost cut free. And as a result, mm -hmm. I just fell in love with education and just the relationships you could build with the students. Uh, I loved obviously the subject of history and you know, I got, I got good results, but it was more just about that, those moments, you know, when you're teaching a class and you're in your flow and you're talking about a subject you love and, and sharing that. So I, you know, I became a much better teacher because I dealt with that emotional pain. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Over time, I started to see lots of students that were struggling. And the, in the school I was at, you know, it was, they did the, the very best they could, but there was just one counselor and it was in a, mm -hmm. a pokey office in the top of the school and she did an amazing job, but a lot of these students were just not getting the support they needed. And obviously me yeah. as, as a teacher, I had no, no formal training. You know, I might've had a couple of hours as in an ITT training sense on mental health, but I just was felt very underqualified and underprepared for what I was dealing with. So yeah. in 2017, I thought I could do something and, and, uh, and maybe learn some new skills to help kids. 
Yeah. Um, I suppose one of the things I'm hearing you say, Sam, is that, you know, um, you were carrying your own issues, a lot of your own issues as well, that were really um, preventing you from teaching you in the way that you wanted to teach. Uh, and I think nowadays, a lot of people tend to forget that teachers are real people too. Uh, yes, we spend our whole lives, you know, as pupils, students, university, and then we go back into the system. And we can, you know, there's an argument to say we are maybe a little bit institutionalized, but we nonetheless are real people with real lives and without dealing with our own issues and so on, uh, we carry that baggage into the classroom. And as you say, pupils are very quick to spot what's going on with us. Yeah, they yeah. are. You know, it's, they're almost like, like a shadow out in the past just with our, our bodies are great, obviously warning signs for how we're feeling internally you know, how we show up on, on the outside, but at the same time, students are very, very intuitive and they picked up on it. And it was, it was the moment of a student obviously recognizing that I wasn't in a good place and showing so much empathy for me that I realized, yeah. well, I've got to start showing this to myself or I'm not gonna be able to do this job or actually even be able to help this girl that's asking me if I'm okay. Do you know what I mean? I can't yes, I do. Show up. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say, Sam, that your story is fairly typical? It's fairly widespread across the profession? I, I, I know we've all, like we said, but everyone's got their own challenges and struggles. And we think, yeah. obviously, the job is, is a lot of the time all consuming. And we've got to play different roles, obviously. You know, we're not just teachers. We're, as you mentioned at the start, counsellors, therapists, you said police. You know, there's, there's lots of different roles. It's very consuming. And I think a yeah. lot of the time we will ignore our own personal issues or challenges and just distract with the job. And, you know, you can distract with other things like uh, it could be alcohol or going out or excessive exercise. But I think teachers, because we're such givers and helpers and carers, a lot of the time that distraction is, is the job. And yeah. there's never time to breathe, to catch your breath until you're in like half term or or on, or on holidays and then you know you can pause and that's why it's so important for staff to you know to do some sort of inner work i believe because if you can deal with some internal stuff that's you know that's, that's holding you back like that ball and chain imagine making that lighter how much more resilient robust and confident you're going to feel in yourself and in the classroom yeah definitely sam and you know, a, a typical scenario for teachers is, you know, we hold on and we hold on and we hold on until the holidays come and then we collapse and then we get ill and our holidays aren't restful. I mean, that would be a fairly typical story. Um, you mentioned their inner work. Um, what, what do you mean by inner work then for teachers? Yeah, inner work for me is we always a lot of the time we'll, we'll blame or look at an external thing to fix our problem. So it could be, like I said, I'm going to just distract myself with work or we feel that when we get a certain place, we're then going to be happy, right? So conditional happiness. So when I get that promotion, I'll be happy. When I get this pay rise, I'll be happy or, or whatever it is. So we're looking for this constant external chase, um, but we never really look internally and we never look yeah. inside and, a bit like if, if your car is is broken, 
you might look at the outside stuff, but you're probably going to, I'm not on a mechanic, so please excuse me, but you're going to look at the engine, right? You're going to look at inside under the hood of the car. Yeah. And when you look inside under the hood, it can be quite scary. And I've seen staff in the work that I do now get quite emotional when they tap into that because it's, it's a place they haven't been before. But so the inner work is, is understanding yourself on a deeper level. And you can do this by, you know, journaling by speaking to a friend, but for me, it's more formal. I would say like coaching, counseling or therapy or some form of non-judgmental talking and sharing about what's going on for you. Cause then you have the realization of, ah, this is what actually is actually holding me back. Not what I thought it was. Yeah. The more people can do that because you know, ultimately awareness precedes change. Mm -hmm. So you've got to have the awareness of what's going on internally to then create the change you want to see in your life not just think that okay when i get this next thing or external then i'll be better it has to come from internal but the challenge mm -hmm. we face is that staff of as we know are so stretched and a lot of the time they're the last people that actually ask for help or, or receive help because they're doing so much stuff but ultimately they i always say teachers have got the most important role to play in our society but the most overlooked a lot of the time when it comes to their own emotional support and well-being. That seems to be very much the case at the moment. Yes, very important, but overlooked hugely. Yeah. How safe is it for teachers to, shall we say, open the bonnet and have a look inside? Yeah, I mean, it's not just teachers, right? Like um, you could go through, you know, in any job or any impression or your whole life without actually working out what's what's really going on for you. And I share this because when you had the courage, it takes courage, right? When you have the courage to be vulnerable yeah. and the courage to open up and the courage to go to places that are tough, your resiliency improves because you have a deeper awareness, like I said, of yourself. So I don't think it's about necessarily teaching. I think this is actually just about your own personal mental health. Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to distract. Like yeah. that is the easy way out. The, the stuff that takes the courage is have, pausing and thinking, okay, cool. I'm not feeling my best at the moment and I'm going to find some support for myself. But the deeper you can go and, and just even the fact, even if it's like I said, journaling, if you don't feel comfortable, like talking to someone, just, just journaling, writing down your thoughts or speaking to a partner or a friend or whatever it needs to be, but just expressing and not one of my favorites is express, don't suppress. That's what I learned on the 23rd of April, 2015. Cause I was this like, if you imagine shaking up a Coke bottle and shaking it up and shaking up and shaking it up, that's what happened that day in the classroom. I just had this big release of emotion, but if I'd been able to deal with that in a proactive way and was able to share, it's a bit like unscrewing the cap of the Coke bottle and a little bit of pressure's released and then a little yeah. bit of pressure's released and then you're in control because yeah. at the time I felt very out of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just as I'm listening to you, Sam, you know, and you know, we both know teachers and we know them well. I wonder, you know, there is a professional persona with teachers and other people, of course. You're absolutely right, but there's a particular per persona with teachers, and that is something along the lines of, you know, you have to be strong, you have to be the leader at the front of the room. You have to be, you know, all things for your form class and your students. And there might be a sense that, 
you know, to admit uh, feeling stressed or not coping or anything like that would be an admission of weakness. Do, do you find that? We had a discussion about this at an event a while back about the use of, it got onto the topic of the use of vulnerability in front of our yeah. classes. Mm -hmm. And I've been out at the class, I've been still been teaching and working in schools, but I've been out of like formal classroom teaching for since 2018. And if I was to go back now, I would make a point of almost sharing my story with the classes. Um, yeah. Maybe not my deepest, darkest fears or secrets, but you know, the story I shared with you just, just now, I, I definitely share with them because there's so much courage. And obviously you've got to you know, choose your classes here and the individuals for sure. I'm not saying yeah. this needs to happen to maybe that mm -hmm. round of year nine group on a Friday period five, right? Mm -hmm. But um, at the same time, it's you are the inspiration. And if you can just say, well, this is what I've experienced. This is, I, I struggle with anxiety or I did struggle. And this is some strategies to overcome it. I think people, you know, they, they buy from people, people learn from people, they know, they like, and they trust. And I think for an educator who is deemed to be strong and maybe an authority to actually say, you know what, I, I have struggled in the past, but also this is how I got over it. And this is what I encourage you to do. If it's a case of opening up and sharing of talking, you know, that's true strength. Yeah. Because when we're sharing in a courageous way, it's, I've accepted that. I've accepted myself fully. And actually, now I've come back stronger. And what an amazing message that is for a young person instead of, oh, Sarah's obviously just got his stuff together. Yeah. I'd, I'd mm -hmm. encourage teachers to share. And it, when we say vulnerability, it's actually courage. It's just to share courageously um, to, to some extent and show the, the students and young people how you, how you overcome that and how you're standing strong today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just wonder, you know, how difficult would that be for teachers? Obviously, you will have some teachers and, you know, they will be able to manage that and do that. And they have that relationship and that rapport with their classes and they can be comfortable enough doing that. And that can work for them. It can be therapeutic. It can enhance their, their well-being and consequently go on to enhance their teaching and learning for their students. But to others, that would be very, very fearful. I wonder what could happen to encourage teachers to kind of be more frank and honest and kind of in, in a safe way reveal more of themselves to their pupils, which would on the one hand help the teacher and on the other hand be you know a superb illustration for students. What could be done to help teachers who might be very frightened of that? Yeah, I mean, it's scary. And it's scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to actually show who you are, you know, on a deep level. But this is what I mean by doing the work. And this is what I mean when you uncover some things and you then learn some strategies to help you overcome this anxiety, depression, fear of failure, set, whatever it is, then yeah. you can actually share that with the class because you can only go as, as far as you've gone yourself. Does that make sense? So that's what I mean by doing the work. But, you know, for if, let's say doing a... a, a the topic of fate let's say an exam class or a year 11 group you did a mock, mock test they didn't do very well you know and you can share a bit about failure and you could share just think about a setback that you faced in your life and share really openly and it could be something really minor it could be something quite large but as long as it's a proactive story of this is the pain i felt this is the emotion and also by the way here are the three steps i over i, I you know i used to overcome it mm -hmm. that's very very inspiring for a young person to hear because then they're learning two things. They're learning, number one, like it's okay to express and not suppress. 
Mm-hmm. And the second thing is they're learning so many different lessons about how to overcome that themselves. And actually the third thing they're learning is, wow, you know, I've got some respect for this person now. And again, I'm not saying like share your deepest, darkest secrets, pick your classes, but it's just encouraging for us to have these conversations that we're actually all a little bit, a little bit, well, we all got our challenges. We've all got our setbacks and actually that that makes us who we are. Um, and we shouldn't be afraid of our failures or, or our, yeah, our challenges. We should actually be embracing that because, you know, failure is a blessing in many ways. Yeah, it certainly teaches us things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the authentic teacher, then the genuine teacher, uh, you would say that that teacher is a much more powerful teacher. Would that be right? I think authenticity is probably, I'd say authenticity over authoritarian. Yeah. Um, and I share that because I was always authentic with my classes. Maybe I'd even be more so now. And as a result, I didn't really have any behavior challenges. I was, I had the line, you know, I found the line obviously that we all have to find early in our career of what's my style. Like what is my relationship going to be with the students? Am I going to be the authoritarian figure? Am I going to, you know, I'm not saying I was their friend by any means. I, I had, I had, you know, I knew where my line was, but at the same time, authenticity with anything in life is super important. And actually mm-hmm. you want students to go to your lessons being like, wow, I'm with a great human being or someone who's overcome their challenges instead of a place of fear. You know, no one can do anything in a place of fear. They learn from a place of safety. And I yeah. think the authoritarian, sorry, the uh, authentic is a place of safety. The authoritarian is the place of fear. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the place we want to come from this obviously safety net. Uh, where students can actually feel comfortable to engage and learn and, and get involved. Yeah. And Sam, I think one of the things you would promote would be like a coaching approach to teachers. Would that be right? Yeah, I love coaching. I actually yeah. love coaching. Uh, how does that work then? How, how would you, how would teachers be coached? What would happen there? Well, I think it's first, great question, Paul. I think it's first good to talk about like what coaching is. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's a word that gets banded around. It's quite a cool buzzword at the moment, but there are some some uses of it that it's not traditional coaching. So for me, coaching is a transformational experience that occurs in the present moment and helps mm-hmm. your client take action steps to achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. So there's some things there. It's the present moment. It's about action and it's about achieving something in the future. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine I, I explain this as like a, in, in a, with a car analogy. So let's say we're working with a young person and we're coaching them. This is how to explain it. So let's imagine a 14 year old is behind the wheel of a car. Yeah. And they're driving the car. Now a teacher or a parent is usually maybe in the passenger seat next to them. And they might be at times wrestling for control of the wheel saying, no, we really need to go this way. This is what we're doing. This is the direction we're taking. And it can lead obviously to a bit of a, a, a clash, let's say at points. Um, yeah. I'd say a mentor is the person in the back seat of the car. And a mentor is in between a teacher and a, or a parent and a coach. And a mentor's there to say, hey, well, we could go this way. I really think we should go this way. But what do you want to do? But they still got some advice giving there. Whereas mm-hmm. a coach, as you can imagine, is uh, in the very boot of the car. You know, like, oh dear. Uh, in the boot, almost like being maybe not hijacked. Oh dear. Or, or, or kidnapped. <laughs> right. But they're going to be banging on the side of the car saying, hey, what way do you want to go? 
I'm here with you all the way. Mm -hmm. So it's a very much student focused approach or client focused approach that really lets the student, the client, the teacher, whatever it is, be empowered and take decisions for themselves. And in doing that helps them build responsibility, helps them build leadership of their life and their own personal integrity because they're following through on their own action steps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's the approach. And for me, I've, I've gone through everything. I've done, I've done therapy, I've done counseling and I've done coaching, obviously counseling and therapy, very focused on the past, especially therapy, like right back in childhood, counseling, mm -hmm. something more generally focused on the past. And they both really helped me, but coaching for me in education is the thing that's going to change mental health support because it's very fast and proactive. I'm not saying we don't need to deal with our past pain. I'm not saying that the approach of counseling in schools, which is the usual approach is, is not beneficial at all. It's, it's been really beneficial, but I think for many students, they just need someone to listen to them, to ask them some great questions, to maybe use a different coaching exercise with them and then mm -hmm. get them moving forward. And mm -hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the students I've worked with where it's PP lack students or even high, you know, or, or SEN or all the students, they really enjoy the fast paced nature of it of cool. I get to express myself, but then also I get, I get to set action steps and I can see the results and the coach, the teacher, whoever it's going to be, is going to hold me accountable on that. And it's a great way to just build quick wins, quick wins, quick wins and progress mm -hmm. nice and fast. And it's something you can do really easily and just change the culture of your classroom or of your school very, very quickly and to have proactive conversations that are, are courageous, but coupled with action that builds confidence. Mm -hmm. Do you need special skills, qualifications to be a coach? I mean, it's an unregulated industry. So you, Paul, you can call yourself a coach right now if you want to call yourself mm -hmm. a coach. Um, and that's the, that's the danger of the industry. And a lot of people call themselves coaches and I've seen a Facebook ad once for a 25 pound coaching diploma. It's like a free online course. And you know, you could go and call yourself a coach for that. Um, the work that I do now, we, you know, I help teachers to learn some coaching skills. So yeah, it's, it's, it's important to have some formal, formal training, whether it's a yeah. full accredited program or just, just a, a one hour CPD, it doesn't really matter. But a lot of mm -hmm. teachers, it's interesting because they coach a lot. And if you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, well, I do coach. I ask questions and I'm there for the kids. And yeah, the teachers do. But I always yeah. find that we're quick to offer solutions, which mm -hmm. is not the core principles of coaching. The core principles of coaching is we trust the client has everything within themselves mm -hmm. to, to help themselves get out of the situation. It's very client focused. Mm -hmm. Whereas teachers, when we, again, it's a time pressure and it's also just the nature of the job. Student comes to us. And we'll boom offer our advice straight away. Yeah, and yeah. that doesn't serve the young person. Like they won't, the, the likelihood is they, they probably won't go away and do anything with that because they haven't had the awareness themselves. Again, awareness mm -hmm. precedes change, so they have to come up with that themselves. But you can change your language and your questioning very simple and very effectively, just then get the young person to take action instead mm -hmm. of just offering a solution and, and and or passing them on or whatever. So there are different ways and different techniques. Does coaching always have to be one-to-one? -one? Can it be one to a group? Yeah, groups. Uh, I've worked with lots of groups of students. Again, um, it's important to set the group up in the same way. Uh, when I say the same way, it's on, on some projects, it's like working 
with a group. I'm just going to be very stereotypical here, okay? So do excuse me. But let's say it's a group of demotivated year 10 boys. And they'll mm-hmm. all be together. And because they're sharing sort of similar concerns, or issues or challenges, we can work with them in that way. And then you might have a group of students who are suffering with a bit of anxiety around about exams. So again, we're working with them in the same way. Obviously, in that capacity, it's more of a workshop because you can't really work with people one-on-one and adhere to everyone's individual needs. But it's really great whenever you're in that environment, to, whether it's adults or students, when people start opening up and sharing and again, being vulnerable, being courageous, everyone's like, oh, wow, like they're, they're, excuse me, they're struggling with that. They're going through this and they can relate. And there's, there are some beautiful moments where, you know, they're co-creating action, they're learning from each other, what's gone well, what hasn't gone well. And I just think it's a really nice approach when it comes to mental health support in schools. Yes, that shared identity gives permission to to feel the way you feel, doesn't it? It's very important, I think, in, in teaching young people. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about um, the coach being in the boot, Sam. I can't get over that. I can't get over that image. Hijacked. It's going to stick. That's going to stick with me. Yeah. I just wonder then if if the coach is in the boot, what you know, what are the pillars then on which this relationship, this coaching relationship? is is built because it clearly is a different relationship from you know the teaching relationship what kind of relationship is a coaching relationship yeah great that's a really phenomenal question the coaching relationship i, I guess it links to teaching in the way it's, it's built on trust and it's mm-hmm. built on a, a connection but a trust between the coach and the client that the coach is there just to be almost like a guide you know a coaching is a coach is also like you know, like when we drive a car, we, we can't see our blind spots and the coach is almost there to, to check our blind spots. So it's, yeah. built on, it's built on trust and a sense of partnership, I think. It's not top-down, which a lot of the time teaching is, it is top-down. You know, even if I'm, mm-hmm. seeing, I'm saying here that I was all authentic and, you know, it was all amazing in my classroom, like, no, of course, I was still the authority. It was a top-down mm-hmm. relationship, ultimately, in terms of what I said, when and that was the author there was a the discipline behind it the behavior sanctions you know all the stuff whereas a coach yeah. is on the same level you can think of it like uh on a football football pitch right so a teacher or a parent might be the manager on the sideline yeah. uh say like hey we want you to you know pass the ball this way we want you to cross it here like this space over here whereas a coach is a bit like i don't know playing center mid and they're passing the ball to the student that's the striker Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of relationship, which teachers, it can be a struggle sometimes because it's a bit more, it's not friendly, but it's a partnership and it's on the same level. And that's where mm-hmm. the trust is built and formed, not top down, mm-hmm. definitely the same level. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned that, you know, coaching is not regulated um, and that's fine. We can understand that as it is at the moment then. Um what attitudes does a coach need? Surely a coach's attitudes are very important in how, you know, both teachers and students listen and respond. When you say attitudes, are you, are you talking about values like a coach or is it like a behaviour of how a coach shows up? Well, I was kind of going to come to, to values in a minute, but, you know, if we, if we kind of merge them, attitudes and values together, then what, what are, what's important in terms of attitudes and values 
for a coach to have in order to be effective, to be successful? Uh, great question, Paul. I'm loving this. Um, I think the attitudes and the values, for me, it's a skill of empathy, but empathy mm-hmm. on steroids. <laughs> so as teachers, we're empathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, we're probably more sympathetic, actually, as teachers. And the difference really is that you put yourself in that person's shoes. Yeah. So the skills, empathy underpinning, and, and really when we build emotional intelligence, a great way to build emotional intelligence is when someone's talking to you or you're watching someone talk, is to check in with you and, and ask yourself what emotion are they currently feeling or experiencing right now? Yeah. And it's very powerful to do that. And it's just a quick check in. What's the person, what, what, they, what emotion are they feeling? And that helps you build the empathy and the emotional intelligence. I think alongside that is the skill of listening. And you could call it a value. You could call it, I guess, an attitude or a behavior. But the skill of listening where we're not listening to reply, we're listening to understand. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, becoming a heart with ears. So, you know, we've got one mouth and two ears and really we should be doing double the amount of listening that we should do the talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's another phenomenal distinction here that um, hearing is a physiological phenomenon mm-hmm. and listening is a psychological act. Yeah. Which I love because, yeah, we can all hear, but do we actually ever listen? And I know in the classroom setting, there's emails going off. You've got the students walking on the chair at the back. They've got the student that hasn't forgot, forgot his book. There's, you know, the behavior. There's so much stuff going on. And we haven't maybe got the time, you know, to, to connect and be a heart with ears or show up with maximum empathy. Mm-hmm. But I, I would challenge that because there are golden moments where you can find, and even if you change your awareness quick from teacher to coach, there's just some, some beautiful awareness of giving the students your undivided attention and listening and being a heart with ears where you can change their their whole persona very quickly because i've seen it happen like on many occasions so yeah let's say empathy listening and what's another attitude i think i've shared it already but that ability of trust and partnership yeah and not top down same level not a friend by any means but Mm -hmm. a partnership a guide that's going to help them like the driver in the car looking at the blind spots checking the blind spots constantly. Yeah. And that's the accountability piece as well. You know, then they come in, what was your action step this week? How did you go out of 10 on that? Okay, cool. What are we going to do next week? And it's something that you can do in form time. It's something you can do in your pastoral time as well and build this culture of action, build this culture of taking responsibility uh, for the students and not just you know, telling them what to do. What do they want to do? And it doesn't have to be about school mm-hmm. because a lot of the time if you're, show up your mental health improves you change your resiliency you're also going to show up better in the classroom it's yeah. like building strong foundations which you know for many factors we don't do a good job of and it's not the fault of teachers necessarily it's like we have so much content and academics and subject knowledge and all this stuff to do that we forget that i believe anyway the most important thing is the mental health of the child <laughs> and the well-being which is a strong foundation but for a lot of teachers, let's be honest, and students, you know, those foundations are rocky and, and shaky at best. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to have positive regard for the people you coach as well. And that allows them to uh, have a lot of self-belief. And it's only on that foundation of self-belief that they, they really do grow and that, you know, you can take action when you just yeah. have that 
the bedrock of belief. Otherwise, it's you know it's maybe marshy and dangerous for you. Yeah, yeah marsh is a good word. Marsh is yeah. a good word. Um, yeah. So we're going to listen to the news now, and after which I'm going to ask Sam if he will talk us through a recent coaching session he's had, just so that we can get an actual feel for how it went. So we'll be right back after these messages. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The UK Labour Party will drop its commitment to abolishing university tuition fees according to reports in a range of media outlets. This is seen by some as another reversal of pledges made by leader Sir Keir Starmer when he first became leader. He told BBC radio outlets that we find ourselves in a different financial situation than when commitments were first made. But he also added that the party was looking at a number of options for reforms to higher education funding. Sakir blamed shifting economic circumstances brought about by the pandemic and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Student finance was also in the news as financial expert Martin Lewis outlined the three main changes coming in for new university starters in England in September. Mr Lewis was speaking on Good Morning Britain. So-called Plan 5 student loans come into effect in September, but will not affect those already at university. According to Mr Lewis, finance is swinging further away from taxpayer funding and more towards the individual. Those starting uni in September will start repaying student loans once they reach a salary of £25,000 per year, lower than the current threshold. Currently, those with student loans cease repayments after 30 years, even if the debt is uncleared. However, new students will have to pay for 40 years or until the debt is cleared, whichever comes first. This means that graduates could end up repaying loans for their entire working life. In more positive news, the interest on these loans will be lowered from inflation plus 3% to just inflation. In real terms, this means no additional interest. Mr Lewis went on to give detailed examples stating that currently, the taxpayer pays around 44 pence in the pound towards funding and the student pays 56 pence on average. Under the new system, the state will pay 19 pence in the pound and the student 81 pence on average. Statistically, 53% of those in receipt of a student loan are currently likely to pay it off in full. Projections, however, indicate that those in the new system, only 23% are likely to pay off their loans. Mr Lewis ended by saying that the new system effectively moved payment for higher education from the taxpayer to the student and could be seen as amounting to a graduate tax of 9% on earnings above £25,000 a year. In Wales, schools are being urged to review their uniform to make it cheaper for families according to a report on the BBC website. However, the report also says that the Welsh Government has stopped short of calling for school logos on clothes to be ditched, instead saying they should not be compulsory. Education Minister Jeremy Miles said families should be told about changes before the end of term. 
but head teachers said they were being asked to consider change at what is already a busy time of year. The request came after a consultation which asked for views on how the uniform cost burden could be eased for families struggling with the cost of living. Families on lower incomes can apply for a Welsh Government grant of up to £300 to help with the cost of uniform, but this hasn't always eased the worry for parents. TES magazine reports on comments made by Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Philipson at last weekend's NAHT conference. In a message to head, she said Labour will ensure pupils are taught by specialist teachers in each subject. She commented that schools are facing a perfect storm in recruitment and retention in the teaching workforce and that this was forcing more and more schools to rely on non-expert teachers. The Labour Party analysis found that more than one in four physics lessons in the past year has been taught by a non-expert teacher, whilst one in ten maths lessons are taught by a non-expert. It also said research indicated that some teachers were delivering lessons in subjects where they had no relevant post-A-level qualification, including two in three computing teachers and one in four design and technology teachers. The comments did not include any clear detail of how the party plans to tackle individual subject shortages. Staying with the recruitment theme, ITV News posed the question, do Britain's schools need more male teachers? After research showed that around one quarter of schools in England don't have a male classroom teacher. Some experts argue that it means young people could miss out on having male role models. Although others say it's the quality of the teaching that is important, not the gender of the teacher. The article prompted many to comment that during a recruitment crisis, it was inappropriate to focus on gender rather than skill. This was backed up to an extent by a Channel 4 news piece that focused on National Education Union comments that teachers in England are leaving in droves. The report focused on numbers in the profession after the Department for Education asserted that there are more teachers now than over a decade ago, although they did acknowledge that the need has also grown. The NEU raised the concern that within five years of qualifying, one in three teachers leave the profession. These are figures based on those published by the DfE. This has been a pattern for over a decade. The failure to meet recruitment targets has created further gaps in the workforce. Between 2010 and 2021, vacancies in schools have almost trebled for both full and part-time posts. The programme also featured comparisons of class sizes in England, Scotland and Wales. Smaller class sizes are often seen as a way to reduce workload and therefore could make the profession more attractive. The research shows that Scotland has the lowest average class size amongst the home nations, but the UK compares unfavourably with class sizes internationally, the UK having class sizes above average when compared to Greece, South Korea and Germany. The feature highlights the issue of workload and recruitment as another core aspect of industrial action. Finally, to mark the coronation of King Charles III, the DfE announced that it was joining forces with the Eden Project to send thousands of packets of wildflower seeds to primary schools across the country. In an initiative designed to mark the event as well as help children learn about biodiversity, around 40 rugby pitch-sized meadows could be created. The plan was met with enthusiasm by some, although many have criticised the cost of this at a time when funding for schools is so hotly debated. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about revision. Lots of our young people are turning to social media for advice and the hashtag study tips is full on trending. 
Get me using buzzwords. I am so down with the kids. Anyway, this could be a secret weapon that you could untap simply by being a devoted listener and not skipping past me on Podbean. We all know there are millions of factors that come into play, like sleep, nutrition, hydration, actually being in school and actively participating, but that doesn't matter on social media. And let's face it, any revision beats no revision. So here is what I've found. Read it 10 times, say it 10 times, write it twice. No research quoted, no posh name, just a good idea that our kids are listening to because it isn't being said by their teacher. Yet. Another I found was use flashcards. I mean, why have no teachers ever thought of that? It's okay though, now social media is telling our young people to do it, they will. Just provide cards, writing utensils and a link. One of my favourites, give yourself no other option. Remove all distractions. Switch your phone off and put it in another room. You have no other option but to be incredibly bored or study. Yes, this is a technique that is trending. There are loads of good tips out there, all of which we clearly have never tried to use with our pupils. Let me finish with something nobody has ever thought of. Make a revision calendar. Mind blown. We could have been recommending this for years. There are even newly developed methods with catchy titles like the 2357. No, it's not a new Netflix series. You count backwards from the night before the exam, two days, three days, five days, and seven days, and they are your revision sessions. All of these tips and more have only just been invented, so we seriously need to encourage our young people to get on social media and learn how to revise in the countdown to exam time. As always, if you have a tech question or any revision tips, why not get in touch at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. This is the Lit Lit Show on Thursday evening. I'm your host, Paul Hazard. And with me this evening is Sam Moyne. Sam, are you still there? I'm still here, Paul. Great, 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 great. So, Sam, uh, interesting news there actually about recruitment. And maybe we'll come on to talk a little bit about recruitment in a minute but I did mention before the news um, would it be possible to talk us through a recent coaching session just to give us a, a kind of a real feel and sense of what happens and how we get from you know where a teacher or a pupil presents to you the coach and maybe what happens what's what's the journey yeah so I know actually shared this so um, on, a, on an interview like this so uh, one thing that we use is a little simple technique called the four A's, which stands for agenda, awareness, action, and accountability. And this is a really simple way to structure a, a session or a coaching session. So when a young person comes to the coaching session, this is usually online, or it can be in school. And yeah. the first A is an agenda. So we ask the young person quite broadly, like what's the topic you want to work on today? Or what's the challenge that you're currently going through? And they'll say something, let's just say something generic, like uh, I'm struggling to revise or revision. Mm-hmm. And then what we'll do using the, the agenda, uh, a little system we've got called time. We look at the topic, we then do some coaching. We ask great questions about the importance of that topic. And we're sort of, we're funneling it down. So from the big topic, we'll ask some questions. And then what you'll start to see is that the issue is not the issue. Mm-hmm. 
so the first thing that a student might say is that they think the challenge is, is actually not what they want to work on. And that's why the agenda part is so important because we're looking for the truth. We're almost like detectives trying to help out the young person to work out what is it they really want. Because sometimes it's not revision. It's like, I've got no self-belief in myself or in this subject, or I've got a relationship, a challenge with my parent or whatever it is. So we, we set the agenda and we ask basically, but then we, as a result of the agenda, we set an outcome for the session. This is like the student setting their own learning objective. So let's say yeah. by the end of the session, I want a way, so like something that's measurable, we're gonna have a way, a technique to grow our self-belief so that I can improve my grades, whatever it is. So that's the agenda. We'll then get into the, the more meaty part of the session, which is asking great powerful questions, using silence, which gives the student space and being a heart with ears. And we might couple that with a coaching exercise or a tool or a strategy to help the young person really uncover what's going on for them. Give them some deeper awareness. And then we move into the last part. So the student will there be in that part, they'll be, they'll be sharing, they're having what we call breakthrough moments. They'll be really uncovering lots about themselves. And again, the 80-20 rule, we'll only be talking maximum 20%, usually asking questions. The student is there sharing and uncovering for themselves. Once we've done that, we then move into the most important part, which is the action setting. And action beats anxiety, action overcomes procrastination. And the distance between your dreams and reality are those action steps that you take. But you see mm -hmm. so many students and adults, and I've been guilty of this as well, you know, we, let's say motivation is a challenge. The student is waiting for to be motivated. They're waiting for this feeling, this eureka moment. Yeah. I'd often say this is like the unicorn moment. Because, Paul, have you ever seen a unicorn? <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly, right? So we're sometimes waiting for this. Like, I'll see a, finally, I'll be motivated. Like, I'm seeing a unicorn. Finally, I found this. It doesn't happen. Yeah. The most mm -hmm. important thing is action. When we take those action steps, it creates this feeling of progress, which then creates this motivation. Maybe not a feeling yeah. of progress. It creates actual progress, which leads to a feeling of motivation. Mm -hmm. So helping a young person at the end, once they've done the awareness part, What's an action step you want to go and work on this week and making it laser focus specific. So not mm -hmm. just, I'm going to be more positive this week. It's like putting some data or stats on it. I'm going to do, let's say X amount of revision, or I'm going to speak to this person, or I'm going to go and train three times a week or whatever it is. And then the last part is the accountability. Yeah. So accountability comes into two categories. It's really what's going to be the impact on your life if you follow through, but also mm -hmm. what's not going to change if you don't do any action. And here you okay, got that, yeah. like, you know, reminders, how you can be reminded of the action step. And then we do a bit of basic little plenary, which is what's been your breakthrough moment? What's been the most important thing you've found out today? Mm -hmm. So that's the structure, four A's, set an agenda. What does a young person really want to work on? And I say really, because the first thing they'll say is usually not what they want. Mm -hmm. We've then got the awareness, the main bulk part of the coaching session, using a tool and exercise or just free coaching and listening and asking questions then moving into action, real specific. And then lastly, how's a student going to hold themselves accountable when you're not there? Yeah. And doing this and having these sessions, you know, and all this stuff, by the way, you can do some of that stuff in like a minute or two. You don't mm. have to have a whole hour. You can mm -hmm. do this really concise. And even if you just want to work on an action step for the student, setting that up in the right ways is super important. But there's a nice little framework for how we run a coaching session and the results, whether I've worked with a six-year-old, which is usually more mentoring if you're working with primary school students, 
you know, up to 21 year olds and, and graduates and everyone in between. Yeah. The results are profound because it comes back to that, 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 that important thing I mentioned, which is coaching ultimately is helping students take ownership, responsibility for their own lives, which builds integrity. Yeah. And it helps them to be the hero of their journey, not the victim. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a very structured approach. I mean, yeah, we have, it's called structured improvisation. So yeah. I guess it's a bit like teaching, you know, you know, the one where you, you write the big lesson plan and yeah. you're probably getting observed <laughs> and then <laughs> you have to go off on a tangent or stuff changes. So by all means, you know, we go off, we go off piece, but yeah. like a lesson, you know, we want to maximize the time with the young person. This isn't just a friendly chat. This is a coaching conversation. This is a powerful connection and something that yeah. needs some structure around it. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I'm not sure if you heard in the news, but uh, they mentioned that there's a shortage of male teachers uh, and consequently, you know, male role models, which, you know, we all recognize are very, very important. Would you see that as an issue that, you know, there is a shortage of male teachers and therefore any coaching or, uh, you know, the coaching relationship, particularly for young boys, you know, there'd be a gap there? I haven't actually ever really thought of this, but... I think, especially if it depends on the student as well, because if they are coming from a background where it might be a single parent household and maybe they live with, um, let's say, just their mum, especially if you're working with with the guys or the boys, yeah, I think those male role models are super important. And mm. you know, I remember back in when I was teaching, I was I was buying some of these students who, let's say, didn't have the best self care routine. You know, I was buying them deodorant and toiletries and and showing them, showing the boys, mm. right, like how to look after themselves again yeah. was i was i trained in that was i was i you know paid to do that no but i bought those supplies <laughs> off my own back because who else was going to share that with them of course you know yeah. who else was going to have that sort of you call it father son sort of chat really about how we look after ourselves as men mm -hmm. um and it's an interesting point about the male teachers i think um I don't know. I mean, that's, that's one thing I'd comment on is like, if you're lacking that at home, you need to find that from somewhere else. And a lot of the time you turn to that important person, especially if you've got a relationship with them. And that could be that male role model in this, in this case. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And, and it is that question of how do you learn to be a man if you have no men to model yourself on? And that of course, in many ways brings me back to, and I know it was a girl who asked you what was wrong that day, but, you know, maybe there were boys in the class and to see a man vulnerable and yet worthy of respect and admiration is very powerful and empowering for those young boys. It gives them permission to be like that, to experience themselves and their feelings as fully as they can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my favorite quote, and everyone will resonate with this, that is easier to build strong children than to repair broken adults. Yes. Yes. And I think suicide well is the number one or number two cause of, cause of death in men under 40, I think. Yeah. Off the top of my head. And again, it shows that we have a, we've had a society that's, you know, pull your socks up, man up. That's what I experienced. And if you can show guys, especially to, it's okay to be courageous. It's okay to be vulnerable. Because it's not about the size of your biceps or fighting for your country or 
or anything like that. It's actually about having the courage to share when things aren't going so well. And you have to learn that. It has to be. It has to be shown, demonstrated to you. And I know it's tough, and I know like it. It can be quite hard to to be that vulnerable person. I'm not again sharing like share your deepest darkest secrets, but be a human being and show how you've overcome it. Because yeah, it might go over the heads of some of them, some some students in the class, but it will land for that student that really needs to hear it. And we always ne- we never know the impact we make. You know, we never know the impact really that we truly make on a young person's life. You see, I was going to ask you, you know, do you have any sense or maybe even any evidence that coaching has, you know, a spiritual impact, that it has a, a meaningful impact on life where young people, you know, value themselves more, where their self-worth is, is increased so that, you know, if they feel down and so on, they have places to go and that suicide and so on, as you mentioned, is a much less likely pathway for them. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes back, if I can share a story of a student I, Please work, do. I work with. Um, so I was fresh out of teaching. It was probably just before the pandemic, maybe like 2019, 2020. And I'm from Milton Keynes and I was working with a student that day. And I never met this guy. He was 14 and I'm sat in Costa coffee and I'm waiting for the student and both the parents turn up to the session with the, with the student, which I thought was quite strange. Cause again, stereotypically the mum would always turn up, especially in those early days where I was doing like face-to-face sessions in coffee shops mm-hmm. and the parents pulled me to one side and said, can we, can we talk to you? I said, yeah, sure. And they said, this morning we found Jamie. Uh, we found this. This uh, we found our son on top of a bridge in Milton Keynes, about to take his own life. Mm-hmm. And the dad was super upset. So was the mum. And I never met this 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 guy. And luckily, he was able to send a text and get himself down from the bridge. And he was there to to tell. The, to, to be with me that, that evening. And we sat in, in Costa. And we didn't really say much for a while. And then we started to talk. And when I said we started to talk, the 14 year old started to talk and I gave him the space just to be open and, and share in a really positive way. And we did a little exercise on forgiveness. And you mentioned spirituality and forgiveness is so important because we all have so much grief and pain that, and it's not just, I'm saying death, it's, it's any, any sort of loss, whether moving house or school, we take all this grief with us and this pain and we never actually forgive ourselves or pause and just let go of that emotion. So mm-hmm. we did some coaching around forgiveness. And I'm gonna be honest, I've never, I've never hugged a student in a session, but we had this, this warm embrace actually and it was just an amazing, amazing session. And for the first time, he said to me, I feel lighter and I feel like I was understood. And I took, I took, I worked with this student and as a result, he went, got back into school, passed his GCSEs, and now he does work in mental health himself and he inspires mm-hmm. other students. And that's what I mean. That ability to be open and vulnerable is the most important thing. And in any work I've done, whether it's a teacher or outside of school, I think that's been my biggest success. Mm-hmm. Just helping that one person, that ripple effect. 
because that's all we do as staff. You know, we're dropping the ripple effects and we're changing lives every day, and that shouldn't be forgotten. And we should yeah. always relish that and appreciate the amazing work that we do as staff, as educators, as teachers, because mm-hmm. it changes lives and it saves lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, thank you for that story. A very powerful story, Sam. Thank you. Um, we're fast running out of time here, Sam. So I wonder, could we just ask a couple of very quick questions? Um, are the right people being recruited into teaching? Well, I'm not sure about the right people, but I don't know why. Teaching is not exactly a, an attractive profession so to get into at the moment. I was one mm-hmm. of the stats it mentioned on the report, right? That third teachers only last five years. I noticed that, yeah. I was like, I was yeah. one of those stats. My brother taught year one. My brother lasted three years. And yeah. I think the right people are, are potentially coming into the job, but the job is so intense. And I don't think they've been given the skill set to actually manage and, and, and deal with, with the actual intricacies of the job. So I think the yeah. right people probably are recruited. But the system itself is not set up in a way that, that, that fosters that. And you've got, you know, the, the two-year ECT now. And from what I've heard, I'm not sure how successful that that is from people that I've spoken to that are doing that. Um, so for me, it's, it's it's not about the the teacher recruitment. It's it's the deeper issues. And we, we love fixing symptoms in the education system. We love just trying to paper over the cracks without really looking at, well, what is actually the cause here? And we never look yeah. at causes, we only look at symptoms. If you want to fix recruitment, you've got to look at the causes and then the symptoms will, will ease off. So maybe a little bit like your coaching, the presenting issue is rarely the real issue. You need to look deeper and find out what's happening. Yeah, like one example mm-hmm. is um, the, you know, the, the strikes recently. And while it's so important that teachers are paid their way and definitely pay increase and go and pay alongside inflation i'm all for that but you know no new teacher goes into education to become a millionaire yeah they want to pay their bills but the fact that there a lot of teachers are leaving because of burnout stress their mental health like does that not tell you that there's more core issues here that needs to be addressed to, to fix that a, a fairly broken system in places so that these staff last more than you know more than five years like me because i love that job i absolutely love yeah. it and i miss it dearly but it pushed me too far and it broke me. I just wonder then, Tom, another quick question then. Do young teachers, you know, do they have, you know, is is it a dangerous profession for them? Do, Do they need more training? Do they need more qualifications? Should teaching be a master's entry profession? Do they need mentored in their early years? You know, I think it's a tough one because it comes back to we're just fixing symptoms. Like if we give more training, but we're not actually dealing with like the fact that, you know, we've got a massive curriculum to teach. I don't know how people fit a two-year GCSE in, especially when I was doing history. You know, there's like so much. And I share that example. Like in COVID, we went from teaching four topics in history to three. Mm-hmm. And that minor example of just cutting back a little bit of what we teach is obviously going to improve the mental health of everyone because there's less pressure, there's less... Uh, you can create more love of learning. You've got more time to teach. So, yeah, it's great to like offer more training. I'd say they need more training in mental health support and actually how to manage their own regulation and how to self-soothe themselves and, and become resilient. I think that mm-hmm. should be the main topic and the ma- a ma- major focus. Not like mm-hmm. a two-hour talk on mental health. 
there needs to be some serious modules on that and giving teachers, young teachers strategies to be able to deal with the challenges of the job. And again, it comes back, you're giving the ITT, those trainee teachers, strong foundations that when they're faced with challenges, they've got the resiliency to fall back on. And the other thing is, you know, like I saw a report that many teachers over 50 more than ever are leaving the profession. You know, these guys and ladies, they're the most experienced in the school that these young teachers need to rely on. So it's great that people get promoted fast in some academies and mats and whatever, but you know, you can't experience cancer so much in the school. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, the tough times I faced, I, my line manager was amazing. And he was, he's been at that school since 2001. And I joined in 2013. Mm-hmm. So he was there as a support network. But if he'd only been there a couple of years himself, you know, who do I, who do I fall back on sometimes? So I don't think it's about just overloading more training. I think, like I said, there's, there's easier ways that we can solve the re- recruitment crisis, which is, again, looking deeper, not just the surface level stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sam, I wonder, do young teachers have anything to offer, you know, older and more seasoned teachers? Yeah, they've got so much to offer, especially if you think about technology and education is one thing, the use of that that's becoming even more prominent. So I think being being understanding of, of these new technologies that are coming in place and yeah, just the energy and the fresh ideas that that you know, new people bring to any team maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily teaching, but that energy, that enthusiasm, that spark, that um, let's say you can lose over time. I think young teachers can always bring that. And I think young teachers should be encouraged and supported as much as possible. And I don't think, you know, giving them an extra year of training, like the ECT thing, just in my experience of what I've heard, by the way, this is just my opinion, hasn't been that successful, where if we gave them, let's say, great mental health support or coaching or whatever, like, that's going to help them stay in this job if we're not going to deal with the, the, mm-hmm. the core issues of education you know, changing. Yeah. And Tom, because we're really out of time, so just a final, um, sorry, Sam, uh, just a final question. Um, if you had a magic wand, what would you do with that magic wand to change education overnight? <laughs> How many things can I wish for? Just the one. (laughs) (laughs) Just the one. Um, Okay. There's so many to choose from. One thing that stands out to me at all times is, I'm just going to go back to the curriculum. I think it's very, very simple. I think if I could change one thing, I would simply cut back, reduce, change the amount that we teach and what we teach. I think a lot of it is a lot of time, even if it's a history curriculum, a lot of the time it's, it's pointless. It's a lot of knowledge that we give students so they regurgitate out in a standardized test without really understanding the skills. And I think if we were to do that, we could bring back creativity, a love of learning and improve mental health. Because, you know, I, I work in mental health. I help students and teachers with that. But I'm fighting an uphill battle. Because if you can just change and cut back, let's say the curriculum, this, this big bloated beast that is the curriculum, then there's going to be just these ripple effects of changes that we can experience all throughout the system. And that will then change the focus of assessment. I know SATs have been going on and you know, you've got four-year-olds doing phonics screenings and being traumatized from exams from a young age. And, and it'll, it could change all of that because 
it's, it's been in place for so long and there's, there's obviously loads of things that we could, we could share, but I think magic one straight away, boom, cut back the amount we teach, bring back a level of learning and foster creativity in the classroom. Sam, let's hope it happens. It's been a pleasure well, talking to Sam Moyne. It will one day. <laughs> Sam, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I learned a lot and I hope you really enjoyed the evening. And for now, it's time to say goodbye to our listeners and make sure you listen to John Gibbs tomorrow morning on Teachers Talk Radio. Goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. program has been brought to you by the happy confident company our clinically approved ready to go well-being and mental health program will help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school to find out more visit us at www.happyconfident.com This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.